Hey everyone, what's going on? Welcome to a brand new edition of the Sam Bissell Podcast on the Ambiguous Podcast Solutions. And right now I'm going to be bringing you the latest and greatest going on around the world of Hollywood. Hope everyone had a wonderful, wonderful weekend. Hope everyone enjoyed the Super Bowl that happened. A great game. A lot of stuff that went on. We're going to recap the commercials and movie trailers that came out in just a little bit. So hopefully everyone enjoyed their snacks, hanging out with friends and family. There was a lot that went on. And of course, we're going to unpack some of it later on. On in the show. I'm also going to be getting into some other movie news that came out over the weekend. I'm going to be getting into Entertainment Weekly and kind of a eulogy for the print publication of that company as they fully go digital. I'm also going to be talking about West Side Story going over to streaming and how that could potentially help its Oscar chances in the last month or so of this year's award season. Also going to be getting into Obi-Wan Kenobi and a whole lot more. But the first thing that I do want to talk about, unfortunately, as I usually do to start off the week because if something like this happens over the weekend, I usually do it on a Monday and at the top of the show if it isn't a box office or something like a Super Bowl or an Oscars happening. And that, of course, is the passing of of somebody within the, the industry. And unfortunately, last night after the Super Bowl, news did come out that legendary director and producer Ivan Reitman, who made films such as Ghostbusters and Twins, unfortunately passed away at the age of 75. He's in the memory and he's followed and lives in in legacy by his family and friends, including director Jason Reitman, his wife, his other kids as well. And this is, again, whenever you hear news like this, it's it's very sad and, 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 and unfortunate to hear this kind of stuff, especially for such legends of the industry. And Ivan Reitman, again, isn't somebody who is just another run-of-the-mill producer, director. This this man really is an icon for comedy, adventure, action, blockbusters, and films of really kind of a quarter century or so. When you look at the 70s, 80s, and even 90s, he did films, again, like creating Ghostbusters with Dan Aykroyd. He also did movies such as Twins with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Danny DeVito, also being an executive producer on a film like National Lampoon, Animal House, which is such an iconic comedy film, and it's just so unfortunate to to hear this kind of news. And I remember seeing him on the press tour for Ghostbusters Afterlife, and seeing him alongside his son Jason Reitman, who kind of took over the reins and did a follow up to the two films that he did in the '80s and in early '90s with Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd. I'm glad that he was able to to see that. And again, it's unfortunate that that this this happened but again uh, uh, passing away at at 75 uh, again it's unfortunate but it means you did lead a a good life and I think when you look back on Ivan Reitman's career you look at the people that are giving eulogies and commemorating him and the work that he did and the impact that he had he touched a lot of people and it was from younger directors that followed in his footsteps or actors and, and so he definitely left his mark on the industry and he will always be remembered for being a guy that again brought great laughs some great entertainment some legendary films that will always be passed within the pantheons of cinema for many many years to come in in, in the work that he did so once again my heart goes out to the friends and family of Ivan Reitman and again we'll always remember the work and what he was able to give us through cinema that we still enjoy to this day and again it's with sad news that I deliver that Ivan Reitman has passed away at the 
age of 75. And now to move on to some other news that is happening in the world of movies and television. I'm going to be getting into the box office recap now. And again, there was a lot that went on this weekend, specifically the Super Bowl. And usually during Super Bowl weekend, which is a little later than it normally is, usually it's in the first weekend of February. Now it's it's going to be in the continuing future now in the second weekend of this month. So either way, whatever weekend it usually falls upon, usually the weekend of films that come out usually do not do that well because people and families and friends are planning their Super Bowl parties, getting spending money on snacks and food and getting together with, with, with people that they know and, and love because it is such a big event. And sometimes studios want to capitalize on that. And, and again, you, most of the time, it usually does not work and it usually big films kind of stay away from the Super Bowl weekend. And I'm sure going forward, this will be the same case where I think now that it is the second weekend of the month, studios will kind of either put their film out in the first weekend or they'll wait till this upcoming weekend or the last weekend of the month to put out any major films that they want to. But we still got a few films coming out. And also what's interesting is that it's not just the Super Bowl that happened on Sunday. Also, I forgot to say it is February 14th, which is a happy Valentine's Day to all the couples out there. And so the studios want to capitalize on that weekend. So for the studio, it's a little bit of a it's a little bit of a tough scenario for them of where they really want to go with this weekend. And they benefit sometimes for Valentine's Day, but sometimes again, it can be hit or miss. And this weekend, for majority of the box office top ten, it was pretty much a miss on the weekend. But we do have a number one champion, a new number one champion at the box office this weekend. And that, of course, is the latest adaptation of an Ag- Agatha Christie novel with the character character Her- Hercule Perron, who was played by Kenneth Branagh and directed by Kenneth Branagh, who did Murder on the Orient Express in 2017. And this is a sequel to that film with a whole new cast that stars Gal Gadot, Army Hammer, Annette Bening. Uh, you also have Lolita Wright in there as well, and a whole lot more in the A-list side of that. But it doesn't seem like people went out to go see this in droves, as the film only made $12.8 million at the box office. It also, when you look at its international markings, it made $20 million for a worldwide total of $33 million at the box office for its opening debut. And when you compare that to what Murder on the Orient Express did in 2017, again, you have to take into account also the fact that we are still in the midst of a pandemic right now. And again, when you look at these demographics, which is skewing a little bit more older, that factor really is not playing well in theaters at this particular moment in time. And I just think the fact that people maybe don't know Death on the Nile as well as they do Murder on the Orient Express, which is was adapted into a beloved Hollywood classic in old age cinema. And I think people recognize that film more than they would the Death on the Nile sequel that happened years ago as well. So I just think Death on the Nile isn't as popular as Murder is. So I think you 
also have to take that into consideration as well. And with a $90 million budget, again, factoring in the A-list members that are on here, so you had to pay them. You have to pay somebody like a Kenneth Branagh, who is a legendary actor and director who just earned an Oscar nomination once again for being a director for a film that he did in Belfast. So again, none of this really does come cheap. And also you take into fact a consideration that this went through multiple changes and release dates because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Also, they're dealing with the allegations and scandals of Army Hammer, who is a big part of this movie that they really just can't steer away from him, even though they're trying to do that in the marketing campaign for the film. There was a lot of baggage that came with this movie overall. So I think for Disney, who bought this from Fox, they had to put it out there no matter what because it was part of the contractual obligations before Disney bought the rights to 20th Century a few years ago. So I think they decided to put it out there, see what they make, and just kind of go for it from there. And overall, again, I saw the film over the weekend, and I enjoyed it for what it was. But again, I don't think people are going to be going and clamoring to the theaters to go see it. I think if you were able to watch it at home, you get the same enjoyment as you would going to pay all that money in the movie theater. So I just think compared to to the opening of Murder on the Orient Express in 2017, when that film made $28.7 million on its way to $102 million domestic accumulation of its run at the time, I don't think Death on the Nile is going to make that money, which, again, with all the scenarios going on in play here with the Super Bowl, with Valentine's Day, with COVID still a curve that you have to look at as well, it just doesn't seem like it was a recipe that was going to work. But we'll see what the legs are for this movie. Again, it's going to have competition coming out in the next couple of weeks, so it's not going to have a long stretch of runway to really kind of perform and have great legs and see what it's able to do because there's going to be a vast amount of content that is going to be supplanting it in theaters in weeks to come. So we'll see how it does. But again, even though it is number one at the box office, not the start that I think Disney or 20th Century Studios wanted to see at this particular moment in time when it comes to Death on the Nile. Coming in at number two this weekend was the champion last weekend, Jack Ass Forever, which grossed another $8 million at the box office for a domestic total of $37 million internationally. It has made $10 million for a worldwide total of $47.4 million. Now, Jackass Forever, on the other hand, only cost around 10 or so million dollars to make before marketing and advertising. So it made all of its money up last weekend when it scored $23 million on its opening weekend. And so anything that it makes now is just gravy. It is just icing on the cake for Paramount Studios and the people over that make these jackass movies. So it's going to be very interesting to see, again, the legs that go for this. But the fact that it did drop 65% is, again, a very steep drop. And it's it's significant. And, and it's also in pattern and in line with what the other jackass movies have done over the last couple of years, or really since the last film came out a decade ago in Jackass 3D, that the fan bases, again, come out in droves the first weekend. But then once they get their taste of it, they don't need to go back and see it. It's not like a Spider-Man No Way Home or any other MCU film or comic book movie that you or Star Wars movie that you need to go back and see multiple, multiple times. You get your fix, you get in, you get out. That's all that there really is to this film. But again, because it costs so, doesn't cost a lot of money, even whatever they make in smaller amounts that they would have made 
in its opening weekend and what they're going to be making in the next couple of weeks again is just enough for them to either warrant signing another sequel to the franchise or just saying that you know what we're happy with what we got we're going to go home and take it in the bank so again a great even though it's a steep drop it is still a really good weekend for jackass forever and again this is all just icing for them on this cake that they made for the film. Coming in at number three this weekend was an, another newcomer in Jennifer Lopez's brand new romantic comedy, Marry Me, which grows $8 million at the box office. It also has $8 million internationally for a $16 million worldwide accumulation. And for Marry Me, this is another interesting case as this was one of the first 2022 films to go day and day release where it's available in theaters but also available on its streaming service Peacock due to it being a Universal Pictures film and this was an announcement that was made a couple of months ago before the film came out so it was no surprise that they were doing this and I think it showcases the studio's confidence or rather lack thereof confidence in this film even though it is a Jennifer Lopez film and you have people like Owen Wilson and Sarah Silverman in the movie that that you weren't so confident in the film doing so well, even though it was coming out on a weekend, that even though that there is a Super Bowl, it is still Valentine's Day. And again, rom-coms usually come out this weekend because of that holiday, because you want to get the couples in there and, and the married couples and, and, and people that are boyfriend and girlfriend. You want to get those date nights in attracted to both... The, the, well, really the theaters, but you want them to be an addition for wherever they go to dinner as well. So again, I think it showcases that they thought maybe they could get some eyeballs on their streaming service for this one as well. And for people that say, well, maybe they needed to do this and, 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 they, and they didn't do so well and, and they could have done better. And, and this is a good stretch for them. And even though this film is is okay, why didn't it do better? It did okay for itself. Well, you could look at what Halloween Kills did in last year in October, and that did really, really well at the movie theaters, even though it was on Peacock. So people still thought that they wanted to get a, a good... Uh, their money's worth well spent at the theaters with Halloween Kills that I think you could have done the same thing if you really wanted to see this film in in theaters and again I get it that you want to test out Peacock and you want to test out your streaming service but again I think even either way I think this could have either went to streaming or it could have done day and day release. And it's showcasing that even with the combination of going to theaters and streaming, sometimes theater going outweighs the streaming service. So for something like Marry Me, again, it only costs $23 million to, to make before marketing and advertising. So it's not like they're on the Universal is on the hook for a whole lot of money that this is going to be huge hole for them if they don't do well in the next couple of weeks. But we'll see what happens. Again, the star power of, of Jennifer Lopez, we'll see if this is able to carry this film. And again, I think they're relying that if it doesn't do well in its legs in theaters, they're hoping that maybe this could rely on them doing something on their streaming service that they can make some kind of compensation with if they lose that at the theaters and at the box office overall. Now moving on to the number four film of this weekend, which came in at number three last weekend and that is the box office behemoth that is Spider-Man No Way Home which grossed another $7 million at the box office and now has $759 million domestically $1 billion internationally for a cumulative 
amount of $1.8 billion at the worldwide box office. And again, Spider-Man No Way Home in its, I believe, let's check the weekend that it's in right now. It is in its ninth weekend since it was released on December 17th. So Spider-Man No Way Home has been out for basically two months at this point and really has not gone out of the top five since it opened on that weekend back in 2021. And again, this is a behemoth that just keeps on chuggy along playing like it would if it was pre-pandemic times even all these weeks later and for spider-man no way home it still at least has one record to break and it seems like it's a weekend away or really maybe a week away from doing that and that is of course taking over avatar who which has 760 million dollars to become the third highest grossing domestic film of all time and if it were to eclipse avatar it would only be short of Avengers Endgame and Star Wars The Force Awakens, excuse me, from the one the, the two in one spot, which I don't think it's going to be able to beat those out since Endgame has around a little over eight hundred million dollars, and of course The Force Awakens has over nine hundred million. So it's going to be able to defeat the Navi's and James Cameron, but I don't think it's going to be able to defeat its other MCU counterpart in Endgame and getting to that number two spot. But again, the fact that it's still the six highest grossing film of all time worldwide, it's going to probably most likely by this upcoming weekend be the number three film domestically of all time. Again, showcases the power of movie going, event movie going that is still very much strong and even in the midst of this pandemic right now, which is subsiding a lot more than when Spider-Man No Way Home did come out with the Omicron variant. It's still doing very well for itself. People will go to these films if it is their only option. If they really want to see a movie, it, it also showcases that comic book films are still the king at the box office. Event comic book movies still hold a whole presence over really everything else if people again if you get people to really get excited for these films so uh, again i think this this speaks volumes to studios of why even in the midst in early january where you had variants of omicron spiking across the country across the world warner brothers did not wave from delaying the batman release date because they 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 were able to see what spider-man no way home was able to do in the midst of all that it still brought people back to see to to the movies in repeat in repeat viewings to see no way home multiple times because of the the entertainment value of that film over Overall. So again, I just think if we want an example of where we want to be in either a year, two years from now in that pinnacle, I think Spider-Man No Way Home is is that level we need to get to to get back to the pre-pandemic times where it's not just one film that's making all this kind of money and it's a miracle. We're getting multiple, multiple films that are being able to reach these marks once again. So again, I think Spider-Man No Way Home is able to deliver that and deliver that hope to studios, to Hollywood and to fans that if you deliver on the film, if you give them something that they really, really will go out to the theaters and see at this point, they will go. Basically, like they say in Field of Dreams, if you build it, they will come. And I think that's exactly what Sony and Marvel did with Spider-Man No Way Home. They put it out there. People came to the theaters and theater theater chains, mom and pop theater shops, studios, they're all reaping the benefits of what No Way Home represents and what it was able to deliver for them that I think should 
excite people and spark uh, hopefully a good run for big blockbusters in 2022. Then moving on to the number five film of this top 10 of the weekend, and it's the other newcomer, the last one of the weekend, and that is the new Liam Neeson action film, Blacklight, which grows $3.6 million at the box office. And that I believe is the only amount of money that it made this weekend as it did not come out in any international markets this past weekend. And this is kind of a run of the mill for what Liam Neeson does nowadays. I think after kind of resurging his career with Taken in 2008 and then kind of becoming this older action star that you could look forward to, I think that that run, that star has kind of run its course a little bit now. And even the reviews for this film are around 6% on Rotten Tomatoes. People just, they're not interested anymore. It, it, it's come and gone. It was cool to see for a moment for a couple years. But I think that part of Liam Neeson's career is, is kind of over with at this moment in time. People, want, I think, want to see him do other things. And every time they see him do these action films, it, it's just, it's not the same as it once was where you were excited to see. Now it's just, oh, well, it's another Liam Neeson action film. It's probably going to be bad, but hey, you know what? I'm, I'm really cool to see him. And I think audiences are, are catching up to that fact, fact that the quality isn't what it used to be. So maybe this is the last one of the last times that we see Liam Neeson do something like this and he either continues to, to, to do other projects or maybe he decides to hang it up but I think this this phase of his career has kind of run out and I think the, the fans and, and the money is going to be further evidence of that. Coming in at number six this weekend was Sing 2 which grossed another $2.9 million at the box office and now has $143 million domestically $166 million internationally for a worldwide accumulation of $310 million. Then to wrap up the rest of the top 10 at the box office, coming in at number seven this weekend was Moonfall, which shot down a staggering 71% from its number two spot last weekend when it came out originally in theaters. It grossed this weekend to $2.8 million and now is $15 million at the domestic box office, $4 million internationally for a worldwide total of $19 million. And that is not good for Moonfall, which even though it is independently financed by multiple studios and not just one major company. Lionsgate is on the hook for the 30 or so million dollar marketing tag that it had to utilize to push the film out there and distribute it out to theaters. But other than that, every, the, this movie costs around $140 million to make, again, before marketing whatsoever. And that's going to be on the hook for these companies and it's going to hit in them in their wallets really, really bad. This is going to be a huge loss to a lot of companies that made this movie. So I don't think we're going to get a sequel for this anytime soon. And, it, and it's sad to see, but again, Roland Emmerich isn't the, the box office guy that he originally once was in the 90s and early 2000s. Coming in at number eight this weekend was Scream, which grossed $2.8 million at the box office and now has $73 million domestically. It also has internationally $55 million and for a worldwide total of $128 million worldwide. Coming in at number nine was Licorice Pizza with $922,000 at the box office now has $13.9 million domestically, internationally $9 million for a worldwide total of $23 million at the box office. And then rounding out the top 10 was 20th Century Studios' The Kingsman, which grossed 
$133,000 for $36 million domestically. Internationally, it has now grossed a number of $85 million for a worldwide total of $121 million at the box office. And with that down, that is your top 10 for this past weekend. Again, going from 10 to 1, coming in at number 10 was The Kingsman, number 9 was Licorice Pizza, number 8 was Scream, number 7, Moonfall, number 6, Sing 2, number 5, Blacklight, number 4, Spider-Man No Way Home, number 3, Marry Me, number 2, Jackass Forever, and coming in at number 1 was the newcomer this past weekend, Death on the Nile. What do you think about the top 10 at this weekend's box office? Did you see any of these films this weekend, or did you stay at home, get ready for the Super Bowl, and celebrating your Valentine's Day weekend plans if you don't have time to do it today on the actual holiday? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. Now, moving away from the box office, I now want to turn over to the big event of this weekend, of course, and that was Super Bowl 56, which was played by the Los Angeles Rams and Cincinnati Bengals. And congratulations to the LA Rams, who for the second consecutive year defended their home stadium and won the Super Bowl in outright fashion. It was an intense game. It was it was great to close out the NFL season in that way. And the Super Bowl is something that is really for everybody. I mean, it is one of the true events of the year that is for every single person. It's for sports fans. It's for pop culture people, for the halftime show, and, and of course also for their commercials, both their advertisements, but also there are great movie commercials that I know people like myself and other film and television pundits always look forward to every single year. And there were some really fun ones this year to look forward to. There were some ones that I think people were hoping for that we did not get this past weekend, of course. I think people were expecting an Obi-Wan trailer to come near, especially since we got the poster, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But we did get some awesome new ones that also were, were really, really, really cool. But the first thing that I do want to talk about, though, is probably my favorite commercial, my non, my favorite non-movie commercial, and that was probably the, the 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 Chevy Silverado commercial that came on, and it was basically the Sopranos opening reenacted with with Jamie Lynn Siegler as Meadow Soprano, and then the guy who plays AJ Soprano came back again, and you have basically woke up this morning playing, and it's Meadow driving through North Jersey and going through all the iconic scenes once again. It was reported that David Chase came back to direct it. And really, Silverado and, and, and the company and, and the talent agency and the marketing execs all came together to deliver, I think, what was a shocking a shocking commercial that I think delighted a lot of people. Because nowadays, with the internet, people kind of give teases to what to expect. So there's not some great surprises that come out of these commercials. You usually know what you're going to be getting with them. But this was really a, a great, shocking look lovely surprise and it was great to see both of them together and again knowing that it's it's also kind of honoring James Gandolfini who passed away years ago and in and, and, and his iconic role as Tony Soprano seeing those two reunite once again showing little nods to one of the most influential great television shows of all time was was amazing and, and so to me that was the best non-movie commercial that came out and my props go to Silverado and the in the executive team and creating that idea to 
to David Chase and his team for executing it flawlessly. It seemed like shooting on film instead of digital. Again, it had that whole feeling like it was the early 2000s watching that intro all, all over again, like no time had passed whatsoever. So that was really kind of cool to see as well. There were some other cool commercials as too, but not on that same level. But to me, the big highlights were also from the the movie commercials and we got some really really good ones in in the Super Bowl this year and again studios because of the 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 the, the pay gap and the price hike in in a time slot for the Super Bowl which this year for 30 seconds was around seven million dollars studios aren't going to utilize that money to put a spot in there when they have YouTube and the internet and social media to their advantage where they can basically put something out for free for the most Porter. It's not going to cost them as much as it would to put something during the game of the Super Bowl. But still, though, some studios do flesh out and dole out some some cash to put around 30 seconds, 40 seconds, maybe of a, of a, of a second of, of a 30 second spot to advertise some of the big films coming out in the next half year or so. Usually, the films are kind of for the first half of the year. They usually don't showcase anything from July onward. So we got some stuff that's really going to be coming out in the next few months from March to April, pretty much all the way up to to May and and a little bit of June. But there were some really interesting ones. We got one for Sonic the Hedgehog 2, which is coming out on April 8th. That played during the the pregame show. That was from Paramount. That was kind of cool to see, give give families a little taste of of a film that did surprisingly pretty well around the same time, two years ago, really, before the pandemic really reared its ugly head and shut down the movie theater industry. That was probably the last success story of 2020 before everything really kind of went to hell. So it was no surprise that there was a sequel announced. It seems like we're going to be getting Tails and Knuckles involved in this one, which who will be voiced. Knuckles will be voiced by Idris Elba. Jim Carrey is coming back as as Dr. Robotnik. And we have Sonic back and James Marsden's back. So the whole crew is back for this one. So I think people will be interested and excited. So it made sense for them to want to put something out for that one. We also got a little spot for Top Gun Maverick, which kind of infused a I think it was for a, a car commercial with Top Gun Maverick in a way. So they were able to utilize themselves in marketing one thing, but really also advertising what they wanted to with Maverick as well. So that's one that I think people are going to be looking forward to as well. There was also the new Channing Tatum Sandra Bullock film coming out in a few weeks for The Lost City. So I think that that was a fun, interesting one where, again, it, it highlights kind of the romancing the stone similarities to this film, the chemistry between Channing Tatum and Sandra Bullock looks really interesting. I'm still curious to know, for Brad Pitt, how big of a role does he actually have in this film? Because I feel like he, he, he might not have a big role. It might just be a one-second cameo or everything we see for, from him is in the trailer. I really don't know. But to see Sandra Bullock back in a film like this where she's getting back to her her com- comedic routes in an action-adventure film is nice. And, and I'm excited to see where the, that film goes. And if it's just a fun film, I'm hoping for that for The Lost City. Then, of course, during the first quarter, we got a look at 
recap the 2022 preview of Netflix films that they came out with a longer version of a few weeks ago, kind of detailing all of the big films that are coming out for the year. They also kind of segued from that into a 30-second spot for The Adams Project, which they also came out with a full-length trailer for that a couple days prior as well, and I really enjoyed that one. I've been hearing some great things about that movie, actually, and I remember hearing about it last year when it was in development and it was being shot and created, and it seemed like an interesting prospect, an interesting premise where it's this guy who's played by Ryan Reynolds, and this film is directed by Sean Levy, who did Free Guy last year, and Ryan Reynolds visits basically the past, and he runs into a younger version of himself along with his father, who's played by Mark Ruffalo, and his mother, played by Jennifer Gardner, and it seems like it's it's bringing together basically everything from kind of 80s sci-fi action adventure, where it seems like it's a mixture of Back to the Future and Steven Spielberg movies like E.T. and even something like The Goonies a little bit as well, and I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what this film is going to be all about, but I've heard it's it's heartwarming, it's great, it's action-packed, Ryan Reynolds is, is amazing in it, so I'm really looking forward to the film, and I think it was a great idea by Netflix to market that this is one of their next big films with arguably one of the biggest stars in Hollywood being in the movie as well. So I thought that was a great a great idea by Netflix to showcase a little bit of what's coming out throughout the year, but start off with one of your big films of the new year with The Adams Project kind of being front and center with that movie. And then another one that we got at the end of the first quarter, but also kind of debuted online during the morning of the Super Bowl was the first ever look at Jordan Peele's next film in Nope, which stars Daniel Kaluuya, who is kind of got his big break in Jordan Peele's directorial debut in Get Out. It also stars Kiki Palmer and Stephen Young, who is fresh off of his Academy Award nomination last year for his role in Minari. So it seems like Peele has once again put together a great trio of performers in this one as well. The I think one of the great things about his trailers is that they're so vague that you really have no idea what's going on, but what you're seeing on screen is so cool that you're already invested into what's going on and based off of just the two two movies that Jordan Peele has created where he's wrote and directed them, they're 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 both great movies. And so you you should be able to expect potential greatness in this. And again, even though it's just two minutes and there's not a lot going on, no details, no story really you're already sold on what he could potentially be doing with this movie and you want to be a part of that experience no matter what. So I think that is, it makes it very, very interesting. And I I think to see Daniel Kaluuya in here is great once again. And he's also off of a fresh Oscar win for Judas and the Black Messiah. But also to see Kiki Palmer really kind of seek her teeth into this one. She's been in some some interesting things throughout the last couple of years. Most notably, she was, I think, really good in Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez. But I think with this, she's really going to be doing something different that we haven't seen her do before, which I think will get her some great recognition down the the line for her to really showcase and, and, and stunt what she can do as a performer and this is going to be coming out summer i believe it's july 22nd of this year so again this is going to be one that people are very very much invested in and i think the tickets are going to be sold at a rapid pace i think jordan peele I think if he does, if he knocks out of the park again and he's three for three like he was with us and get out, I think he begins to open up to that upper echelon of a Quentin Tarantino, of a Christopher Nolan, and even a Denny Villeneuve where 
you go see a movie of this caliber because it's not because of the stars or because of the concept, because of the director. And whoever the visionary artist is making this film, you already know that you're going to be getting something great, which is why you demand to see more of that person's movies. And I think Jordan Peele, again, he's already hit with, with two of them, but if he hits it again with number three, I think he'll be in that echelon once again. So, nope, I'm really excited to see what that's going to be all about. I wouldn't be shocked if you maybe get one more trailer, maybe within April or maybe May before the movie comes out in July, we'll get our second trailer for Nope. And then going in the second quarter was a trailer for Ambulance. And again, this is one of my most most anticipated films of the year. It's only it's already coming out in just a month or two, really two months actually. And that is the new Michael Bay film Ambulance with Jake Gyllenhaal, Yaya Abdul-Mateen II, and Isa Gonzalez. And this is a very formulated TV spot and didn't do anything to increase my excitement, but I think it got the word out there. And for a lot of these spots, people might not know what any of these films are. And because you have a big audience like this, this is the first time that you're going to get people to see some of these films and see trailers and marketing campaign for them that it might pique their interest a little bit. And so I think that Ambulance did a good job of honing in on the Michael Bay action, showcasing the the chemistry between the three leads, specifically the brothership between Jake Gyllenhaal and, and Yaya. So we'll see where it goes, but I'm very much looking forward to that film as well. But the three big ones that I think people are going to be talking a lot about coming out of the Super Bowl are two Marvel projects that really, I think, spent all of Disney's budget for the most part on what they wanted to spend for the Super Bowl. But we'll talk about those in a minute. But the other one was getting our first glimpse at what is arguably one of the most anticipated TV shows of all time. And it could certainly change the game when it comes to streamers if it hits all that it needs to hit when it comes out on September 2nd. And that, of course, is the Lord of the Rings, the Rings of power and there's been a lot of talk a lot of speculation about this this television show it's been it's been through the ringer where we haven't heard really any word on the on this we didn't even it sounded like at one point we did, it, it, was this thing even happening still but it went through multiple casting changes it was going through it sounds like multiple directors but they were able to finally settle down and shoot this thing after covid delays and other delays on this project and it seems like they were able to put their money where their mouths are $462 million to be worth, and even a whole lot more when all is said and done, probably, to elevate this to one of the most or the most expensive television show of all time. And so I think a lot of people were wondering, well, what is this going to look like? What is this going to entail? Lord of the Rings, it's such a delicate subject matter to, to translate because of how much there is beloved in that book series from the book fans to what Peter Jackson did specifically with the Lord of the Rings films back in the early 2000s. There's just so much love and you you don't want to be ruining anything that could compromise the legacy of what Lord of the Rings has achieved over the centuries and the years really since its inception all the way back in in the early 1900s. So... I think for for this show and for the showrunners, there's a great Vanity Fair article that came out a couple days ago really giving you an idea and a, and a layered rundown of, of the details of what has been going on behind the scenes and the making of this and how much pressure there is for these showrunners and the creators and the writers and, and the people on production to make this show as authentic as possible to, to deliver to the fans. And so to finally put all the talking aside and all the hype and just to see it for the first time, 
I can, it looks like they're putting their money where their mouths are, and you can definitely see that money being put to good use. It, it, if you were to show me that in a movie theater, I would have been, wow, beyond belief. And just watching it on my laptop and watching it on my television screen, even though it's not that big like a movie theater and it has, I don't have surround sound, I could see from the production design that they very much in, in value catered to what they needed to it and you can and it feels like you're living in this world from the the waterfall dropping down over the mountains and 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 the blades of grass and the forest and 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 the creatures they all seem authentic and real and hopefully some of it becomes practical because i think one of the things about the hobbit the hobbit trilogy that came out in the early 2010s was that it felt very much too CGI heavy. And what I think made the the Lord of the Rings film so well regarded was how practical everything was utilized from the sets to the makeup and prosthetics of these creatures. And the fact that everything might've been animatronic and you had some CGI throughout it, but it wasn't noticeable. And you still put in the work for a lot of these designs that you did for three epic movies that I'm sure you're gonna put CGI and green screen and, 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 background, and, and background VFX in here. I still think that you're going to be need to do something about this this project that hopefully it's able to retain some of those elements that made those films so great. And what's interesting is that According to, again, this Vanity Fair article that came out, one of the things that popped out to me was the finances for this. And they said, along with the $462 million that is going to cost the first season alone, the figure of that $462 million is also going to include infrastructure, building infrastructure that will be used later on in seasons that we might not even see in season one. And that that infrastructure construction is going to be offset by $108 million tax rebate. And that will most likely put the film or not the film but the series if it goes on for say four or five seasons like the article was pointing out it could very well push into the billion dollar budgetary cost for a television show that we honestly even haven't seen in movies i mean we you, you could get individual films like avengers infinity war might cost three to four hundred million dollars to make and then the same thing for for endgame and combine those two films will make a billion dollars or cost a billion dollars but for an individual season to cost that much is just absolutely absurd and it showcases again the that jeff bezos is really passionate about this this franchise and about these about this property and about the tolkien universe that he wants to do it justice and judging by the trailer it looks again gorgeous it looks awesome the characters look interesting and i think it, it elevated my excitement and one thing that all marketing is supposed to do whether it's trailers or, or television spots for movies and TV, is supposed to push your level of excitement if it isn't already at an all-time threshold. And this, for me, pushed my excitement level up for this because I'm not going to lie, I love Lord of the Rings. I think it's one of the great trilogies of all time in cinema history. I, I, I just didn't know if we needed this story. Do we really need more Lord of the Rings? What story are we going to tell? And again, just from hearing the details of what the showrunners are looking for and we're going to be introduced to new characters and all these different storylines. I could see them and what they're trying to do with this. And I just think it's exciting to see somebody go just be as ambitious as they are. And if it comes in streaming, then I'm all for it. And and, and if it's not on the big screen, I don't need it to, to be that when it comes to something like this. Because I think as much as even though Peter Jackson did a great job with Lord of the Rings, 
people are going to be sitting around watching four or five hour movie, but they could do that if it's told over hour long weekly episodes that come out. And so I think Lord of the Rings is can thrive in television as much as it did in film. So we'll see where it goes. But again, I really like the first impression that I got for the new Lord of the Rings television show in The Rings of Power. And then the final two spots that came out that I think got people the the hypest of hype when you can come to these the these spots is of course the two major Disney Plus or not Disney Plus but Disney spots that came out for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Moon Knight. Just to kind of get Moon Knight out of the way real quick, it did come out over the second quarter of the game. It was only 30 seconds and also it was the case when you watched on YouTube a, a straight hard count 30 second spot that came out. I think it was great. Love the highlighting. Really kind of I think diving into the marketing which is smart that for any non-Marvel fans out there one of the big cooks that you're going to get people on is that it stars two legendary actors in today's day and age in both Oscar Isaac and Ethan Hawke. And it seems like very much from the two pieces of material that we've gotten so far, they're very much leading heavily into that for non-comic book, non-potential MCU fans that are out there to watch this show on Disney+. Plus. But then, of course, again, to the action and, and, and it looks badass. The costume looks insane. The fact that his cape, when he kind of glides down like Batman, kind of shoots up like a moon crescent is awesome. I love the kind of the the the, the moonerang is what I'm going to call it right now that he gets at the very end and you got that great wide shot when you have kind of the moon in the background and moon night kind of in, in a Dutch angle kind of upward motion shot. That looks awesome. So it, it all looked, it, it was all cool and badass but the one that people are going to be talking about is the one that brought down the house before the game even kicked off and that of course was the new trailer for Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. And it seems like this is where a lot of Disney's money went as they did include a Disney Plus television spot, but it was one that was kind of cheesy and campy. It didn't really kind of offer up a sizzle wheel like they did in 2020 when showcasing their first three major MCU shows of WandaVision, Falcon, the Winter Soldier, and Loki. Instead, again, it was Moon Knight, and they did it for Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. And what a trailer we got. There was so much stuff to unpack from this film. It's wild that there's more stuff to this than just the two minutes that we got in this trailer. Of course, the big thing that everyone's talking about is, yes, it does seem like the voice that we hear in the background when Doctor Strange is kind of locked up and being transported by Ultron bots, or bots, excuse me, into a room that looks like it's from the Illuminati in the MC or the Marvel comics. It does sound like that is Patrick Stewart's voice. And even though we get a glimpse of a blurry over the shoulder shot, it looks to be a potential bald head, maybe sitting down. Very much seems like that could be Patrick Stewart returning as some variant version of Charles Xavier in this movie, which is directed by Sam Raimi. And it also, again, sees Benedict Cumberbatch reprising the role as Stephen Strange. You have Benedict Wong coming back as Wong. You have Rachel McAdams coming back. You have Chuatil Ejiofor coming back as Morgan to Elizabeth Olsen as Wanda Maximoff, aka the Scarlet Witch, and they're also introducing Sochi Gomez as America Chavez, which she looks, just from the few glimpses, looks amazing. You also get some great interactions between Steven and Wanda, and it seems very much like Wanda's going to be taking a very dark turn in this movie, and I love that scene that she has where it seems like 
she's dealing with the repercussions of what she experienced in, in WandaVision and that she was trying to do something for herself and she tried to save the world in the very end but she was still labeled an enemy and when Stephen Strange deals and tinkers with the multiverse and sets things awry he's considered a hero whereas Wanda tinkered with some things for her benefit and in the end she's labeled a villain and she might not like that and she could be using this for personal gains that again if you've watched WandaVision it could lead to some interesting concepts that we could learn about and see with her character kind of evolving forward and she's maybe not the good person that we saw in the Infinity Saga maybe we're evolving her into becoming a full-fledged villain it'll be very very interesting to see where it all goes but she looks great and also I got to give a major shout out to Sam Raimi who I think one of the things that was criticized about the first Doctor Strange movie and was also in the beginning before this trailer kind of came out was the criticizing of the fact that it seems like Kevin Feige and the creators over at Marvel really want Doctor Strange to be this horror-level corner of the MCU that we've never really kind of gotten before. And it'll be very interesting to see what happens with Moon Knight if we kind of get back-to-back with that where it deals with supernatural and horror elements if we get that in both March and May. But with with the Doctor Strange films, it seems like they always wanted to go the horror route, which is why they brought in Scott Derrickson, who's worked on horror films in the past. And it seems like it didn't work with the creative and creative nature that they were working on with him on this film. That they decided to bring in another horror ma- maestro with Sam Raimi, who of course has worked with the Marvels before with his Spider-Man trilogy years ago with Tobey Maguire, Kirsten Dunst, and James Franco. And so for him to come back to the MCU, to this Marvel Universe, you could very well see the fingerprints of a horror film on here. Some of the imagery specifically looks horrifying. I mean, you're seeing blood coming down Wanda's face at the very end. You see this kind of zombie-natured Stephen Strange come to life as well. It seems like a lot of the, the elements seem very dark and gray and gloomy. So you're very much getting those those horror horrific elements into this movie somehow, some way. And it'll be very interesting to see how it all kind of comes together for the very first time because you know Disney still wants these movies to be kind of four quadrant where you're getting everybody involved and everyone is is appealed by the movies that they're coming out with but you also need to appeal comic book people you need to come to accommodate geeks you need to accommodate what Kevin Feige wants what's what what you hired Sam Raimi for so as long as everyone's on the same page I think this and Moon Knight as well could be a very much a game changer in shifting the tone and the maturity aspect of the MCU in ways that we haven't really seen before so I'm very much looking forward to to that aspect as well but seeing some of the visuals as well that Sam Raimi is able to bring again is it's just so so good I'm so excited to see what he's going to be able to bring to the table with this movie but it looks fun it's exciting and again if, if the Batman was not coming out this year this would be hands down my number one most anticipated film of 2022 without even having seen this trailer it would have been that if the Batman wasn't coming out this year and even more so it's it's solidified that this is one of my most anticipated of the year with this trailer it got me so excited and if they're already kind of showcasing a a potential tease of patrick stewart in here i think this showcases the potentiality of what else is going to be in addition to this film because again there were reports and news articles that came out about this film going into major reshoots in the last month or two that they that people's schedules were able to clear out that they wanted to get and they were able to get for cameo roles and so i think 
think they're going off of what worked, and this is what the reports say also, is that they're going off of what made No Way Home such a success for so many people, why they enjoyed that film, and it was the incorporation of the past, and really kind of celebrating what No Way Home did of 20 years of of Spider-Man and and, uh, and these live-action Spider-Man kind of coming together, and people enjoyed that, and it wasn't just fan service, but it fit the story and the emotional tone of what they were telling with Tom Holland's journey as Peter Parker, so if they're able to toe that line again with Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness and Marvel Studios itself when you when you don't have the involvement of Sony just by themselves they are the kings at fitting nostalgia into the story and making it work and having it make sense with Endgame, Infinity War, the first Avengers movie, Civil War. It all works out. So if they're doing it with Doctor Strange too, I can't even imagine what we're going to be getting with this. And I can very well see this being a celebration of 20 plus years of Marvel content, whether it's whether it's Blade, whether it's the X-Men movies, whether it's Fantastic Four or so on and so forth, I think this could be a very much a celebration of everything that's come before to get us to this moment. So I'm very much excited to see where this all goes to see if the rumors are true on some of the casting announcements that, that might have come out for this. Also, another thing that's interesting, it seems like a, a variant of Captain Marvel, whether it's Monica, Maria, or even Carol Danvers is fighting Wanda. So that seems very interesting. So I'm excited to see how that all plays out. But this all looks looks great and it seems like to be to be a great carryover from what we got started with in Spider-Man No Way Home. So those were all the television spots that came out. Oh, also one more that actually happened, and there was a trailer that came out earlier in the week, of course, was for Universal's big movie coming out this summer, of course, and that is Jurassic World Dominion. Love that trailer. Great to see the big three back for of Sam Neill, Laura Dern, and Jeff Goldblum with the mixture of the world characters of Bryce Dallas Howard and Chris Pratt, seeing the dinosaurs out in the open. This is going to be really a big adventure film, a globe-trotting dinosaur movie that we haven't seen the likes of in this Jurassic franchise yet. So it all looks great. I cannot wait to see it. But what was your favorite Super Bowl movie commercial? Or or was it not even even a movie one? Was it one of the, just the regular commercials? Which ones were your favorite? Did you enjoy the game? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. I'm also going to be putting out a Twitter poll on what movies or TV shows you wanted to see get a TV spot but did not get one at this year's Super Bowl. Was it Stranger Things 4? Was it Obi-Wan? Was it maybe Thor Love and Thunder? Was it something along the lines of another TV show or movie that you wanted to see that you did not get for? Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts and I'll also put out a Twitter poll later on in the show. And then moving on from the Super Bowl and the commercials, I want to talk about one other trending trailer that came out over this last weekend and I thought they would include it in the Super Bowl, maybe like a 30 second spot, but again, because I think Disney put all of their money into two major MCU projects that are coming out at the first half of this year in, 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 in a few months. The one that I thought they would do another one on just because they put out a trailer, they could put out a 30 second spot was for one of their new brand new films coming out. And that is Disney Pixar's Lightyear, which will be their second major film to come out in 2022 after Turning Red comes out in just a couple of weeks on Disney+. Plus. But I think the one that people have been looking forward to is this movie ever since it was announced on Disney's Investor Day back in December of 2020. 
And Chris Evans is coming in to voice the role of Buzz Lightyear, and this is basically kind of the showing the story of the in, of the inspiration for the toy that we would get in the four films voiced by Tim Allen. So that concept in and of itself really intrigued me, and it seems like this is going to be, from the teaser trailer that we got, and even this one, that this is going to be a full-on sci-fi extravaganza, and it, lo- it looks like fun. Like to me, I don't need this to be an emotional film. If but if it is, it would be classic Pixar. But as long as you give me a fun, entertaining space adventure with a character that, from the toy version, I already love with all these other characters that I kind of have known throughout the Buzz Lightyear lore. I'd be, I'd be happy for it. And so I'm really looking forward to seeing how they tell this story, how they integrate it within the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it universe of Toy Story, or I don't know how they're going to approach this, but it just looks like fun. It looks interesting. And so I was all here for the, the latest trailer. And even though I'm excited for Turning Red and I've heard some great things about that movie, this is definitely the Pixar movie that I am definitely most anticipated for and looking forward to the most seeing in theaters this year. Hopefully, it goes to theaters this summer. But what did you guys think about the Lightyear trailer? Again, it's coming out in June of this year. Let me know down below in the comment section and leave your thoughts. And now, moving on to some reviews that I want to do real quick. It's time to go to Sam's TV Review Corner. And there are two major reviews that I want to do for television shows that came out last week and the first one of course is to do a season or series rather depending on what happens recap of the book of Boba Fett and we finally got all seven episodes of this show that began back in December 28th of 2021 we've gone seven weeks with this show it's been through ups and downs some great moments some highs some lows and overall I really really enjoyed the book of Boba Fett overall I just thought oh it was just period not not non-stop or period stop rather a great Star Wars show in general like if you were to take away the book of Boba Fett and it was just named the Star Wars show or Star Wars I would have loved this show from beginning to end it, it just was pure fan fun from beginning to end where I just think if you're a fan of Star Wars just to live in this universe it gave you something to cheer for and really enjoy and was the story a little uneven from time to time yes I, it, it very much was but I think from the character journey that Boba goes on on with this and then with Fennec and then of course course bringing in all these other aspects of characters like black krasanskin or gartha flip or bringing in the bringing in another a a few other characters as well and bringing in old ones like mando and grogu it just was was so great to to see all that and they give us some some of the best star wars tv moments that we'll ever see i mean just in in episode six alone from luke and grogu to cad bane versus cobb vanth and then the mandalorian wrecking shop with the darksaber in in episode five to the whole episode in 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 the second one with bubba and the Tuscan Raiders and how he kind of lived his life after Return of the Jedi. All that was great. And then, of course, you did have some lows with, 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 with the mod pods and, 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 the, and the, the mechanical people that had maybe a little too style with their with their motorcycles that very much was a Robert Rodriguez aspect 100% to a T but I think there were a lot more greats that outweighed the the lesser elements of this show I definitely think the finale was Robert Rodriguez's best episode to date for this season I think overall when you look at the four episodes of Star Wars he's directed 
episode six of The Mandalorian season two is still his best one period, but I thought he did a good job with the finale of this. And I, I, I don't know if we need a season two for the book of Boba Fett. If we get it, great. I'm going to watch it. No complaints. You're not going to hear me get complained about getting more Star Wars, but do we need more from this? I'm not really sure. It was great that Tamar Morrison and Ming-Na Wen were able to shine in this show and get their due. But I'm still very much looking forward to this. If this anything, this 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 got me excited for more Mando than I think than anything else. And it got me more excited for Ahsoka and all the other shows that are being set up in this little corner pocket of what is now being probably called the Mandoverse, where this is all leading to something in the future. I think for a lot of people, I think it's going to be very interesting to see where these aspects go from here and to see if they're able to maybe develop something else for the Book of Boba Fett Season 2 or maybe they just put them in as side characters for Mandalorian moving forward. It's going to be very interesting to see where they go from here. What did you guys think about the Book of Boba Fett overall? Did it get you excited? Did it not get you excited for a Season 2 or for the future of Star Wars? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final review that I want to do in Sam's TV corner this on this Monday is to talk about the seventh episode of DC's Peacemaker. And this is a show that just continues, continues to do just some great, great entertainment value and shock everybody, really. I mean, with it, what what James Gunn is able to do with Peacemaker is absolutely sensational, and he's in 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 episode seven specifically. Not to get into any spoilers, but he's able to toe a great line between comedy and and seriousness in a way that I have never seen anybody do before. Where he's able to make a joke out of a serious moment, but when it needs to be heavy, he lets the heaviness kind of draw for a little bit more so than anything else we've really gotten in years past with James Gunn. And so I just think this 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 show has showcased the greatness and brilliance of James Gunn throughout his entire career. And I hope we get more of this stuff from him, whether it's another season of Peacemaker or more DCEU shows down the line where he gets to be this free as a creator. I think is going to be great, and I cannot wait to see what he does moving forward. But this was a great episode of television. I cannot wait to see what the finale brings us. And again, I think overall, I think when we look at this first half of the year, I think Peacemaker has been that talked about show of 2022 so far, where, where every single week people are clamoring for a new episode. People are the night before getting ready to watch it, whether it's on midnight east or on the Pacific Coast or at 3 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, or if they decide to wake up a, a little later instead of waking up that early to watch the show. People are very, 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 very excited to watch it. And again, John Cena has proven that he can act. He, it is no fluke. He can do it. And I'm very excited to see how this all ends. But it, it seems like it's going to go crazy for the finale. So I cannot wait to see how it all comes to a close for this season. What have you guys thought about the latest from Peacemaker? Let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts. And the, the final bit of stuff that I want to go over on the Sam Bissell podcast today is just to kind of go through some movie news topics that have come out over the last couple of days. And the first one that I want to get into is to talk about Entertainment Weekly. And it came out a few days ago that they are going to be going full digital for the foreseeable future and that the print publication where they come out with the magazines, they go on newsstands, and you're able to get the actual physical copy of Entertainment Weekly is ceasing to exist 
exist at this point. They they pulled out all the workers that were on the publication side. They all lost their jobs, unfortunately. Hopefully, they're able to land on their two feet and gain other jobs because they are all incredible at what they do. But it seems like an end of an era has happened for this company. And I think for a lot of people, it, it really affected them because Entertainment Weekly has been a part of the pop cultural pantheon since the 90s when it came out. And, 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 and it, it goes from not just music, but really diving into television and movie news. It's where I remember getting exclusive looks at at films such as the MCU movies, like The Avengers or Thor Ragnarok or Black Panther, or getting the Comic-Con specials where they would they would preview a lot of the big panels that would be going on. And, and I remember the first ever edition of Entertainment Weekly that I ever got that really kind of, I think, helped me direct to what I'm doing today, what I want to do in the future, which is to commentate on movies and television, do this like a podcast or something like what they do on Entertainment Weekly. And it showed me that you can cover pop culture like movies and TV like they do on sports and news. And to see them kind of cover a movie, a, a a time of the year between May and August, like they do where they go in depth on the movie and details and characters was really kind of cool to see. And I never really saw that before. And again, it, it wasn't the full thing that, that tipped me over the edge to doing what I want to do, but it was one of the stepping stones to getting there. And I remember from 08 to 2015, I was collecting Entertainment Weekly magazines. It was pretty much on and off from 08 to 2010, but from really 2010, 11 onward, I was collecting magazines left and right, and, and it's probably gonna benefit me that I kind of have this stack of old Entertainment Weeklies where, again, it's the first look at the Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron. I remember the the, the Harry Potter tribute magazine they put out when Deathly House Part 2 came out in July of 2011. It was it, it was a great cover spread of all things Harry Potter, the, the movie seasons, but also the fall movie season, the winter movie season. It was all just great stuff, and, and they came out with, again, not just covering movies, but some great stuff on, on on music and TV, and it would kind of be your your guide to what's coming out the week or the week of, and it, it was just so engaging and great, and it's going to be, again, a shame not to get those publications anymore, but it's just the way and day of a new age where everything is digital nowadays, everything is on social media or online for people to check out, and so I just think that it makes sense business-wise. Again, it's a shame that so many people lost the jobs that they did. But again, at the end of the day, it makes sense why to go full on digital because that's where the market is right now. But the end of an era did come around. It was unfortunate. But again, I think a lot of great memories for a lot of people and certainly for myself that I can always credit the publication, the the print side of Entertainment Weekly for getting me to where I am today. And, and definitely what I want to be doing in the future as well is being that stepping stone or one of those stepping stones to what I want to do eventually, which is to cover movies and TV like I'm doing on this podcast for you guys like now, like I hopefully want to do down the line as well. So it, it, it was great to see, but again, a great run for Entertainment Weekly on the publication side. And again, I hope that the people that lost their jobs land on their two feet and get other positions as well, because knowing what they what they do and the podcast that they created, the content they created, they know what they're doing and they should definitely be con- commended and recommended for openings such as that at May 
major companies like Hollywood Reporter, Variety that open up and even more so at other smaller publications as well. So I hope that if anything out of this, that people that lost their jobs landed on their own two feet. Because that's the thing that you always get concerned with this was that even though it's the end of an era for something that you loved, people's lives were affected by it. And you hope that they're able to come out on the, the right side of this and they're able to to come down on their own two feet with this. So heart goes out to them and hopefully they're able to, to land really, really well after what they they went through. What what about you guys? Have you Has anybody ever read Entertainment Weekly? If so, what was your favorite memory? What was your favorite publication that they came out with? What was your favorite magazine cover? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. Moving on now to some production news that I want to talk about real quick. And and one of them has to do with Zack Snyder's next film to come out on Netflix, which is Rebel Moon. And a few days ago, along with Sofia Patella, who was one of his first casting announcements, he rounded out the rest of his cast for his brand new movie. And there's a lot of new, not not newcomers, but there's a lot of A-listers on on the casting call. But there's one that really sticks out to me and is re- the reason why I'm covering this story. So you have Charlie Hunnam coming in, you have Jaiman Hansu coming in, Duna Bay, and the one and only Mr. Ray Fisher is reuniting with Zack Snyder once again. Yes, Cyborg himself is getting another chance to collaborate the right way with Zack Snyder this time around where there hopefully won't be any interference whatsoever with the studio, specifically Netflix, at all. And I'm sure there's not going to be any whatsoever if there's any indication of what he did with Army of the Dead and Army of Thieves last year. So... First off, the big news, of course, is is that Ray Fisher's coming back. And, and the first thing you got to think of is this is very much a, a redemption shot for Ray Fisher. And, and it's not even so much redemption because he, he never did anything wrong. He blew a whistle on something that needed to be talked about and sparked a conversation that needed to be having on an awful time that happened on a very big film set with Justice League. So he needs to be commended for that. But it seems like he's been paying the price ever since. And we never knew if we were going to get Ray Fisher once again because it's Especially after we saw him and what he truly did as Cyborg in Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think we were able to say that this guy, there's a reason that Zack Snyder chose this guy to play Cyborg and be the heart of his movie, and he delivered on every single facet, and he, and he wanted to see, see this guy do more, and thank God that, that Zack loved Ray Fisher enough that he saw an opportunity to work with him again, and hopefully, depending on how big the role is, that maybe this could be another building block for Ray Fisher to get back on track and do what he's doing, but also have a career that he deserves to have in Hollywood because again the guy is super is really really talented and I want to see him do more stuff and it's a shame that everything went down the way it did on Justice League that we can't probably see him play Cyborg anymore but again we get to see him do other things so as long as he's able to kill it on Rebel Moon and hopefully this leads to more opportunities for him down the line I think it's going to be a great kind of uh of a redemption slash resurgence story for Ray Fisher that is very much needed after doing the right thing and kind of and deserving to be back into the good graces of directors and being in projects once again. What do you guys think about this new ensemble for Rebel Moon and the fact that Ray Fisher is coming back to play in this new film with Zack Snyder? Let me know down below. 
and leave your thoughts. And the last bit of movie news that I want to talk about in on the Sam Bissell podcast today is going into the world of the West Side, the Upper West Side, to be more specific, and specifically to talk about West Side Story, Steven Spielberg's adaptation of West Side Story, which just last week got seven Oscar nominations, including Best Director and Best Picture and Best Supporting Actress for Ariana DeBeau. And one of the knocks against the film, and it's been it's been for a bunch of films, especially when you look at the Best Picture race and, and the box office total for a lot of the films individually, have not been doing great in theaters for the ones that are in theaters. And so for West Side Story, it has not done well at the box office. It's really been a box office bomb. Again, only grossing $37 million domestically. Again, we went over the numbers again as well, but also $64 million worldwide. And it's showing that people are not watching this film. Now, that could be that people don't want to see West Side Story. They don't, they're not interested in this. Or it could be the fact that they don't want to go see it in theaters and that maybe they've heard the great buzz about the film. And they want to see this film, but they're not going to go pay to see this film in theaters. And it's only been in theaters. It hasn't been on any streaming services whatsoever. However, that is going to change in about two weeks when it was announced that West Side Story will be debuting both on Disney Plus and on HBO Max on March 2nd. Now, you might be wondering, well, Sam, how come it's debuting on both streaming services? Well, the reason it's debuting on Disney Plus, which is great, is that it is now owned by Disney, who owns 20th Century Studios. And the reason it's, it's debuting on HBO Max as well is because Disney has to honor a contract that was established by 20th Century Studios, which was 20th Century Fox at the time, before they were bought by Disney, who agreed to a contract with HBO and Warner Media that their films after they were done in theaters, would be getting a first look and, and first distribution to their streaming service, which at the time were HBO Go and HBO Now before it was HBO Max. So they would always get first looks and first dibs on any kind of streaming release whatsoever. So it seems like Disney was able to work out a strategy with, 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 Warner, with Warner Media and that they could debut simultaneously on both of their of their services so which is great because I, I think this could be a great move and I think the reason that Disney did this was to get it, it rolling on the Oscar campaign because I think they see that there is very much a pathway for this film to get into the best picture status and not just be a nominee but be a potential front runner and I think that this is going to get more eyes on the film overall I think people again want to see this film they just didn't want to go see it in theaters so you're going to hopefully get the eyeballs you need to see this movie on disney plus on hbo max so you don't have to pay any extra fee for it whatsoever so it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because the oscars are at the end of march so this coming out in march 2nd gives a good little bit of runway for this film to come out for a few weeks get people maybe potentially buzzing about the film on social media and get people engaged with it so We'll see what happens, but this is a smart move by Disney, and I think hopefully in the long run, it will pay very, very well for them at the end of the day. What do you guys think about West Side Story, both debuting on Disney Plus and HBO Max? Let me know down below and leave your thoughts. And the final thing that I want to talk about on the Sam Bissell podcast today is dealing in a galaxy far, far away, and that, of course, is the debut of the Obi-Wan Kenobi poster and its release date. So literally on Wednesday, 
a sheer number of hours after the Book of Boba Fett finale debuted on Disney+. Plus. Lucasfilm and Disney is already looking forward to what is probably arguably the most anticipated Star Wars project probably since Star Wars The Force Awakens came out in 2015, and that is the limited series run for Obi-Wan Kenobi, which is seeing Ewan McGregor reprise the role of Kenobi from the prequel trilogy once again, who was a fan favorite. Hayden Christensen is also coming back to reprise the role of Anakin Skywalker and Darth Vader. You also have people like Rupert Friend coming in. You have O'Shea Jackson coming into this television show as well. You have people like uh, Joel Edgerton coming in to reprise the role of of Luke's Luke's uncle and aunt. So this is very much a, a show that people are very much looking forward to. And people are wondering, first off, when the hell is this thing coming out? Because people were speculating it's going to be in May. It's too big of an opportunity to pass up, have it come out in the month of May. That's Star Wars month. And specifically, people were wondering, is this going to be coming out on May the 4th? And I always thought that May the 4th, it was going to be tight. It makes sense because it's Star Wars Day and people, it's a big, big holiday nowadays. But because of Moon Knight, this, uh, it, it, I was wondering, well, if they do a two-part premiere on March 30th, then it would make sense. But if they do the six episodes and it's one episode a week, Moon Knight's going to be ending on May 4th because it's a Wednesday. And then Doctor Strange is coming out on May 6th. It just seems like too much attention is going to be focused on Marvel that Disney would want to divert that to Star Wars as well. So it made sense that it seems like the release date for Obi-Wan Kenobi is actually going to be May 25th, which again, that is a great date for Obi-Wan Kenobi because I think there's a lot more history behind it. It is going to be the 45th anniversary of Star Wars A New Hope coming out in 1977, and and this very much is going to be a kind of prequel to those events in that movie. So I I think it's a great date for them to, to circle it. I think... It, this confirms that Moon Knight is very much going to be just playing out, I think, up until May 4th. So again, I, I think everyone gets their cake at the same time, that it's going to be on a significant day of Star Wars no matter what. You you had, I remember, I remember the, the trilogy, the prequel trilogy coming out around that same time at the end of May. So I think it makes sense for them to come out with the show around that same time. And it's gonna have well, well, well worth about a month or so of ramp up to get people excited. And that's that's what Disney likes to do, where they they, they, they don't want to cross over with a whole bunch of their other shows. And I know a lot of people were sending me messages telling asking me about that, like, why don't they want to have so many different things happening at the same time? And I always tell them it's because they don't want to cross over with all their properties. And somebody came up with a good idea of maybe of strategizing how come they can't do two days. And, and, and I was thinking to myself, well, maybe they could do Wednesday is one major project. And and they go back to a Friday because even though I like the Wednesdays, I loved having Fridays with a brand new major Disney Plus show coming out, especially whether it was The Mandalorian specifically or even WandaVision. I always loved having that little bit of time where you really kind of got your weekend started the right way of having a big show to look forward to and then you could talk about it over the weekend and then you could get yourself hyped up and excited and got kind of got you through the 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 first half of the week into Wednesday or and kind of leading up into the next couple of days and kind of got you looking forward to and and, and trying to really kind of just plug through your whole week to get ready for Friday once again. So I just think that for 
for for Disney makes sense why, but maybe they should go to a two day format instead of one day. But again, overall, I think this is a great, a smart move by them to do it on, on May 25th. I love the poster. I think it's a great teaser where it really kind of encapsulates what to expect with this with this show. Again, it's going to be six, I believe from the reports, it's going to be six episode limited series run. It's going to be one and done, which makes sense. And it really kind of showcases that it's just Obi-Wan in the sands of Tatooine with the twin sons behind him. And I think it showcases that this guy's a loner. This this is somebody who is who doesn't have the Jedi Order to, to fall back on. He's a fugitive in the galaxy. He's got still got a job and, and, and a and a wish to kind of see through one of his best friend's son's life and in an order that he got from his last order from the Jedi, really, of watching over what could be the chosen one to save them one day and restore balance really to the force in in, in Luke Skywalker. So I think all of that was really kind of encapsulated in this one poster. And the big question now is, moving forward is when the hell are we gonna get a trailer for this for this show? And I always thought that we were gonna probably get it during the Super Bowl, which which is why I was kind of holding off on it a little bit. And and I said it even in the in the in my notes to get ready for this show that I thought that we could potentially get this on the Super Bowl, which is why we kind of I was holding off on it a little bit, and we didn't get it because again Disney directed a lot of their focus on their two upcoming MCU projects, which again makes a lot of sense. But again, Disney is at that point where they can drop it whenever they want to, but it's just a matter of when. Are we just going to get it on this Wednesday, on a random Wednesday? Are we going to be getting it tomorrow on a Tuesday morning? Are we going to get it this Friday morning? Are we going to get it two Fridays from now or a Wednesday morning from now? Because it's going to be on a morning when people are still getting ready and getting ready for the day and can talk about it all day. But is that when we're going to get it? Are we going to get it on any kind of substance? Are we going to get it on a televised broadcast of of an NBA? telecast because ESPN it does the NBA and so does ABC nowadays are we going to get it on that so there's just a whole bunch of of questions of when we're going to get this trailer because that trailer is going to blow up the internet it's going to blow up the day it's going to be the most talked about thing so I think Disney Disney knows what they're doing it's just a matter of when are we going to get it when is it now so we'll see when that's going to happen but again May 25th great great date love the poster it's going to be the most talked about event of the summer I think leading up to to July when we get Thor 11 Thunder because this is going to be six episodes so it'll be the end of May all all of June so this is definitely going to be in the beginning middle of summertime going to be the most talked about event of 2022 or summer season at least of 2022 but overall what did you guys think of the poster of the release date when are we going to get the trailer let me know what you think down below and leave your thoughts but with that down and out of the way that will do it for this edition of the San Basel podcast once again everyone thank you so much for tuning in be sure to check out my channel for more content you can check me out on Spotify Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio Public SoundCloud and much more also make sure to tune in onto the ambiguous podcast solutions and be sure to check out the other amazing shows that are on here such as you mad bro the number one source to see what the internet is pissed off about on a weekly basis also check out goal-driven professionals geared toward improving client relations return on investment and customer acquisition costs for independent businesses and services also check out the daily grind a weekly motivational podcast with kelly johnson giving you everyday tips and key takeaways on reaching your goals also along the way make sure to check out these other amazing shows on the podcast solutions such as wrestle attic radio pretzel mania podcast and midnight showing you check these out and so much more on the website and big 
RealAmbiguousPodcastSolutions.com. Also on Facebook and Twitter at RealAmbiguous. And if you want to check out Canopy Treehouse, use the coupon code AMBIGUOUS. Also, when you get a chance, make sure to follow me on social media. You can find me on Twitter at Samuel. That's B-U-S-S-E-L-L-S-A-M-U-E-L. And also on Facebook at Sam Bissell. Once again, everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. And until next time, keep on screening.